Well, welcome everybody to the Servant Leadership Institute podcast once again. We're coming to you from lovely Carlsbad, California and various other places since we are still sheltering in place. Art Barter is with us this morning. Good morning, Carol. Our purpose this morning is to delve once again into the art of servant leadership too, and specifically to talk about the ultimate measure of servant leadership. And I think some folks will be surprised, some of those measures and how we carried them out. And so I'm looking forward to talking to you about this topic this morning, Art. This chapter begins with an important and a meaningful question for the reader, and that is, how can I tell if my leadership is making a difference? In this chapter, we're going to show you how to go about measuring the difference your servant leadership is making. And where I'd like to start is with our experience, our years years and mine, and primarily yours as you led this effort. Um, Can you explain the measurements that Daytron used when you were in the process of transforming the company? Yeah, you know, it's uh, very interesting to take on the challenge to change a culture of a company that's been around since the 70s. We started our transformation journey in 2005. Mm-hmm. Company been around for a long time, and so the challenge for us was to not make it all about financial performance. Mm. And you know, it took us a while to figure out it was all about behavior and how we behaved as servant leaders. That included what we talked about and then what we did. But what we learned is we had to we had to measure our own behavior as well as the performance of the overall company. And that's what I'm, I'm gonna stress today. Now, the first overall measure that we saw probably the most success with that's non-financial is our trust index, where we wanted to know if people trusted us. And you know, we read The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey, and his experience was you asked two questions. And the two questions are, do you trust your boss? And it's a simple yes or no answer. Uh, <laughs> And do you trust management? And a simple yes or no uh, answer. And I remember the first time I took that, you know, I had people in the organization who wanted to give me written feedback on why their answer was yes or no. And I said, right now, I appreciate your desire to give me feedback, but right now I just want to create a data point. And what was difficult for some people was I told them I don't want a dissertation on why you answered yes or no. Right. I just want a data point so we can start from. Right. And then we measured that trust and we call it the trust index. And I think we're in the low 70s, maybe high 60s. And, you know, I learned that we were asking our leadership to increase the trust index. And what we found out was we needed to take a trust index within the leadership team. So we added one question when the leaders got together and we asked them, do you trust each other? And what was very interesting is that trust index was the lowest in the company. The question, do you trust your boss, was the highest trust index. And when you step back and look at it, the group that was entrusted with teaching about trust and improving trust in the organization was the group that had the lowest trust index. Now, what that told me was where I needed to start the training in trust. I needed to start in the leadership team, not with everybody else in the company. So, you know, that was one measure. We still measure that today. The only area we've gotten to 100% and took us probably 10 years to get there was within the leadership team. 
And so, you know, I've, I've shared some information on the trust indexes over the time uh, that we measured it. So you can go to the book and, and see that. I think it's in the appendix. Some other ways that we measure is we asked our leaders to invest time with their direct reports. Now, what does that mean? We came up with, and I, I don't recall how we came up with this, and if we read it in a book or if we just decided on our, on our own, but we wanted our employees to spend 20% of their time having face-to-face -face conversations with their direct reports in one-on-one -on -one meetings. And we continue to do that today. The reason we wanted to do that is we felt the relationship between the leader and the people that report is one of the most important rela relationships you can have in a company. We did a simple survey. Uh, I think we used SurveyMonkey, and we asked the leaders to measure themselves and be honest with themselves. Now, I will share with people, we didn't use this as a hammer, okay? I'm going to repeat that one more time. We did not use it to drive improvement through, quote-unquote, hammering people with their results. What we talked about was what keeps you from getting to that 20%. And maybe we had some customer deliveries that, you know, needed to get to because they needed to deploy them in the field. Remember, we're a military communications. When you need to deploy equipment, you need to deploy equipment. And so there may be instances with the business that drive that percentage lower. We understand that and we extend grace when it comes to that. So, you know, we ask them, measure yourself. Nobody else measured them. You be honest with yourself on how much time you spent with your employees. We get asked all the time what the, re what the return on investment is in uh, the leadership development. And you know, there's no ROI, return on investment. What we learned after we engaged with an expert in the field is it takes five years to see a dramatic improvement in leadership from leadership training. And in a culture like ours, in a company that's been around for a while, it takes eight years to change that culture. Mm-hmm. You know, the behaviors that you have to have as a servant leader, you have to measure those. Trust you have to measure. And then what our purpose was to positively impact the lives of others. And we decided to create a charitable fund uh, for the company. We contribute 10% of our operating profits into the fund. We let the employees decide where that goes. So when we sit down and look at are we successful in what we're doing, we look at how many people did we serve through our charitable fund? How many grants did we issue? What was the impact of the people? How many lives did we serve? Mm -hmm. And so that's another, we'll call it a soft measurement that you can have on that. You can measure employee engagement. You can come up with your own measurements. And we encourage you to do that because what worked for me at Datron won't necessarily work for you. I will encourage you to do the trust survey. And past that, you know what behaviors you need to change in order to measure. Now, we do have financial results that we have to be accountable for. And what we challenge people to do is instead of creating a new quote unquote financial measurement for leadership development is pick one or two items you're already measuring mm -hmm. and say, I'm going to get an, I'm going to see an improvement if I do this training and see if you get an improvement. Because if you can't improve your current performance, that you, things you're already measuring, don't create a new measure because people are going to look at that and go, okay, well, we've never measured that before. So how do we know if we're successful? So we encourage people to take one or two items that they're measuring and say, we're going to improve the performance in those two measures. And that's how we're going to focus our training. So Carol, I could go on and on. I think our last podcast I got talking and I think we went for an hour and a half or an hour, 45 minutes. So <laughs> I had to chuckle because well, for a couple of reasons, one is I know when we've gone to clients and when you've explained to clients that, you know, cultural change takes 
a long time that this is a real, real commitment. And you, you know, mentioned that it takes eight years. And I know people just kind of went, what? <laughs> I mean, they were shocked. Mm -hmm. But we found it to be absolutely true. And, um, you know, it, it just shows that this is not something that, uh, that you can do for 30 days and, and expect that um, it's going to revolutionize your organization. Right, right. You have to have a much bigger picture than that. And then, of course, the other is doing a trust survey and just answering the simple question. Right. Do you trust your boss? And how crazy that drove some folks. There were a lot of yeah, but <laughs> kind mm -hmm. of responses. And they had to learn to not go there, not have to be so detailed with everything. Right. Keep it simple. Yeah. The particular group of individuals that we all work with, we all happen to be people that you know want to go on and tell you more and more and more about what they're doing. Right, right, exactly. Um, so that, that was definitely a learning experience for everybody. You say that there's another way to measure your impact as a servant leader, and that is to answer the question, are the people you serve growing? And when I use that term growing, what does that mean to you? Well, you can look at it at different uh, levels. Number one, are they growing in the job they're currently in? Mm -hmm. You know, are they feeling better about their performance? Do they understand what the expectations are? Do they increase their understanding of why they're doing what they're doing? Mm. Right. And that's, those are all signs of growth. Do you see them smiling more? Yeah. Are they happier? Are they feeling better about coming to work? So those are signs that you can observe in behavior. And then you can look at performance and whatever performance evaluation that you have, you should be able to see improvements in that if they're growing. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if the employee is strictly motivated by money and they're whatever they get paid salary wise or by the hour, you know, you're, you're going to see some growth, but you're not going to see the same amount of growth in someone who's looking for a company that has a great purpose and really yeah. lives their values, et cetera. So now let's talk about the personal side of growth. The personal side is reflected in their smile. But you know, when you teach servant leadership behavior, it's difficult to turn that switch off when you leave the company for the day. You've finished your time at work. Now it's time to go home. Are you going to turn the switch off or are you going to continue with some of the behavior you're going to have with the people around you? And I like to say, do the people that you love the most in your life, do they see a change in you? Mm -hmm. And when they do, that usually means you're growing and understanding that you can be better by doing things differently yeah. and improving yourself. And then you've got to look at the team. Are they working within the team better? Are they working within their family better? Maybe we challenge people that may not have good relationships with people in their organization at work. You know, do they get along with people better? And so, you know, you could define growth in a lot of different ways. And you have to know the person in order to know how they're going to grow. And I will share with you that there are times that, and more often than not, unfortunately, is we find someone in a job that doesn't utilize their gifts because somewhere in their career they decided or was put in a position that doesn't utilize their gifts. So when you help someone utilize what they love to do, you're going to see that person grow beyond your own expectations. And so, you know, do those people that you serve, 
the people around you, the people you love the most, do you see them growing as individuals uh, and growing in their organizations that they're part of, whether it be at work, at home, family, et cetera? Yeah. Well, um, for most of those folks and most of us, I guess, in general, came into the working environment needing to have a job, right? right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily what I started out to do, but, you know, it was either, you know, move home with mom or <laughs> get a job. Or get a job, right. Completely different. And it opened a door for me, however, to go into a certain area that, that helped me to grow and learn and later go into management. But I still somehow was able to incorporate some of those skills and gifts that I had. You know, that happens for some people and for other folks, unfortunately, you know, it, it never does. Right, right. But yeah, I think, you know, for a leader to be on the lookout for that kind of thing, you know, do I have somebody who's just not really where they should be? Right, right. And is there something I can do to help them? Now, I'll warn people, not everybody you serve wants to grow. <laughs> and at some point in time, you have to respect their decision not to grow. All right. And so you're going to have people who are going to respond to you serving them and helping them. And other people are going to go, hey, I don't even want to go there. So don't bother me. I just want to come to work, earn my paycheck and go home. And, um, and people will mature over time. So if we hire someone who's 22, 23 years old, they get 10, 15 years experience in the workplace. At the end of that 10 or 15 years, they're going to have a different perspective on where they want to grow than they did when they first started with the company. So you've got to take that into account as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are, you and I have both seen this art where folks are doing a job and, you know, we think maybe they could grow in a certain area and they're really more comfortable. You know, it's like they have a choice, right? You can either stick your neck out and go do something a little different that might be painful as you learn it, or you can stick with, I've done this for the last 10 years and this is how I do it. Step one, two, three. And I'm satisfied. Right. And I think, you know, we have to have room for those folks as well, is what I'm hearing you say. Right, exactly. And and I I think that's really true. And they can certainly achieve great things as their leader. It may hurt a little bit because you know what they're capable of. Right. You know, sometimes you have to accept that. Right, right, exactly. So... This chapter that we're discussing today talks about succession planning and succession planning to me up until, you know, I began the servant leadership journey was just this very necessary thing. Everybody should have a succession plan. I still think you do need to look at that within your department Mm -hmm. to see You know, is there somebody there who maybe wants to be me in a few years? But you have a little different set of feelings about succession planning. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, I don't don't believe in succession planning. I think the world changes too fast. Mm -hmm. Technology has gotten so fast that the person you hired 10, 15, 20 years ago may not be the right person to succeed you today. Uh Uh-huh. 
And, you know, we found this so much in technology. We're on Zoom. Olivia usually hosts this podcast. And for whatever reason, we couldn't do it. So we jumped on my Zoom account. Now I have to record. Okay, well, what button do I push just to record? (laughs) I'm not the person that should succeed in the handling podcasts for SLI. But, you know, more importantly, what we've learned about the younger generation is they look for purpose. They look for companies that love their values. And when they don't see that, they move on. The people who are looking at that generation are saying they're going to stay with the job two to three years and then they're going to move on to something better. And I've always said two things. Number one, when people are ready to grow into the next position and you as a company don't have a position to offer them and you want to let them grow, let them go and celebrate their decision to leave the company for a position they've grown into. If if you can't offer them that position, then why should you hold them up? In my early in my career, I I saw companies promote people until they failed. Mm -hmm. How on earth does that work for anybody? So I look at that. And then the second thing is we don't know when events are going to change. And I'll share a story that's still we're dealing, we're dealing with, and I haven't shared this with Carol that I'm going to share this today, but, you know, we have four senior leaders at Datron, uh, and one of those is myself. We lost one of those four in early April. He passed away unexpectedly, didn't have anything to do with COVID-19. We had worked together for 15 years. Our families, our kids grew up together. Nobody expected that to happen. And overnight, we lost 25% of our leadership team. So you're going to have unexpected events that happen in life that you can't control. And so you're going to take any succession plan you had in place and you're going to throw it out the window and start from scratch. We're still hurting from that. And I'm not going to launch into a succession plan. The team's not ready for a successor. And, you know, it's a loss that is going to stick with us for a long time. I don't have an idea how that's going to impact the succession plan. All I know is if I had one uh, and evolved that individual, it's it's out the window. And I, I think we should get tired of throwing succession plans out the window and just focus on serving and developing people into leaders that want to be developed and learn how to be a great leader. And if they succeed you in the company, that's a big plus. If they don't, they don't. So the other thing I'll share with people is when we bought the company back in late 2004, it was important for for us to establish an advisory committee. And the reason we established that was to provide Lori, my wife, that if anything happened to me, she had a group of people to go to and help her through managing the company, figuring out what to do with the company, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone I put on that advisory group in 2005, 2006, there isn't one person on that group that's still with the company. And so, you know, it was a great idea. Succession plan. Do I have that same talent in the company? It's different today. Yeah. And how we want to manage the investment we have in Datron to go forward. The biggest concern was if something happens to art, could we be financially viable? So I've got a life insurance policy on myself that uh, anything happens to me, that money goes into the company to make sure we can continue keeping people employed. That's a more important succession plan to me Mm -hmm. than people's name on an org chart. And so I want to get people to think about these younger generation of leaders and how they'll react. They're not going to get in line for 15 or 20 years. They're not going to do it. Early in my career, that's what you did. You got in line and you waited. I left Disney, and I mentioned this in the book. I left Disney 
in Anaheim because I realized that the people above me, the next opportunity for me to advance required two things, for that person to be promoted mm-hmm. or that person to retire. Mm-hmm. Because you got in a position at Disney, it was a long-term deal. It wasn't short-term. Yeah. And so for a younger person like me in my mid-20s, I said, I don't want to hang around and wait for somebody to retire, get promoted, or in some instances, end up passing away. I, I don't want to wait. And so I left Disney and went to work for a manufacturing company. And I had two gentlemen help me discover that I had a gift of like of building product. I love to build things. And I've been building things in manufacturing companies ever since. So a succession plan for me at Disney wouldn't have worked because I, I hadn't figured out what I wanted to do yet. So mm-hmm. anyway... People like to have a succession plan. And I'm going to tell you, most of the time, the succession plan doesn't happen because life happens. Yeah. And you've got to be ready for life happenings in order to deal with a succession plan. So I could go on and on on how I feel about this aspect of leadership, but I don't think we have enough time for me to... continue down that path. I think people get the idea that you really have to figure out who the leaders are that can best serve your company today, not someone you identified 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 Because the world changes too fast. So now we get it again to a, a, a definition or a measure of servant leadership that isn't quite what people would consider the norm, but To me, it's probably the most important. And that is, and I'm quoting Robert Greenleaf at this point, loosely quoting Robert Greenleaf, are people better off after coming in contact with you? That's the bigger question for a servant leader, I think. You know, Carol, we're we're recording this on June 2nd, and we just came out of a weekend of watching things happen in our country in our county in San Diego happened that protesters have every right to express themselves when they have displeasure on what's happening in their county, in their country. What they don't have the right to do is tear up the cities they live in and burn things and break windows, et cetera. And I've thought a lot about this over the weekend. You know, are people better off after they've come in contact with you? And I wonder if that was pervasive in today's society. Would we have seen what we, we have seen over the last four or five days happen in cities? And I don't know the answer to that, if it would have made that big of a difference. I, I think it would have. But I'm going to give you some real life examples. We've seen them in the last couple of days. I think you've seen police officers take a knee and uh, show their solidarity with people who are unhappy with what's going on in the country. We've seen protesters and police do fist bumps, hug each other, carry on a conversation in a very respectful way and treat each other with dignity and respect. That's what we're talking about here. In those encounters with either a police officer or a protester, are they better off after they've come in contact with you? Do you have a better idea on why they feel the way they do? You know, and for me, I've taken an interesting approach. I've really focused this past week on trying to understand what it is like to grow up as a black individual in this country. I have no idea what that's about. I can relate that I have been discriminated against and people have treated me very unfairly because of being overweight. So I can understand that part of it. I can understand what it's like to be a black person and what they've lived with. And, you know, I've, I've looked at Selma, read, I got very interested in that three or four years ago. And, you know, people were not better off that day. And 
I think things have improved, but I don't know. So some of the groups I've joined in the last three or four days uh, in Facebook, I've joined them to listen and to learn Mm -hmm. and try and understand what it's like to be in their shoes, not to talk about what I believe in, not share my thoughts because I've never been in their shoes. And so I want to listen and talk so I can be a better person because I've been in contact with people who have lived that life. Yeah. Now, that's a pretty different thing that I talked about in the book, but that relates to today. So let me get back to some of the things that you can do as a leader outside of everything that's happened in the last week. And what I love to do is I love to interface with people I don't know. And for me, that's a true measure. Do people smile when you've come across them for the 30 seconds in a day? Uh, Maybe the barista at Starbucks, do they smile uh, when you tell them thank you with a smile? Or you ask them about a pin that they're wearing? I've told the story many times. I love to ask people about their tattoos because I want to know who their artist is. I don't want to understand why they do it. That's not necessary, but there is some beautiful work out there. So I ask, who's your artist? I always enter into a discussion with that individual because I've shown interest in their life. So last weekend, I was out and about, drove into a Starbucks to get a coffee, and a young man had a multicolored mask on. And I mean, it was bright colors. And I went, that makes me smile. Now, you couldn't see my smile because I had a mask on. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I, I told him, I said, hey, I love your mask. So it's got some bright colors in it. And he says, yeah, I, I really enjoy wearing it. I said, yeah, it makes me smile, even though you can't see my smile, I, because of the bright colors and the arrangement. And I said, thank you for wearing that. And, you know, those are the little things when you show interest in people's lives that that person I probably talked to no more than a minute, maybe 45 seconds. And yet we left smiling underneath our mask because we exchanged some words. I complimented on something about him and this one it was a mask is that person better off smiling once you've interacted with them Uh, that's really what life is about is do people smile when they see you or they turn around and run all right (laughs) Uh, now people don't normally turn around and run but they'll avoid you for leaders you know we talk about doing what you say you're going to do and if you want to positively impact the life and you want to see people better off the best way for a leader to do that is do what you say you're going to do, you know, and, and that's going to work out the best. So, you know, in today's environment, you know, I've had experiences in dealing with people, like I, I said, ask them about their life. But in today's environment, I'm trying to put myself in other people's shoes and listen and learn because I know it's going to make me a better person. Yeah. And I think that's what everybody has to do today. They have to listen and learn. And then focus in on the positive things that are happening. The people who are coming together, wanting to make a better country and a better better world together. So as you can tell, I've spent some time thinking about this and, and um, what impact we can have in the world if we do things right. So, but the question is for that 30 seconds, 45 seconds, 10 seconds, or five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, whoever you interface, whether you know them or not, do you positively impact them? So the next time somebody cuts you off on the road, don't <laughs> launch into your sign language. Just smile and, and mouth, hey, have a good day. Uh, if somebody cuts you off in the grocery store or bangs your cart or cuts in line, just smile and say, hey, have a great day. And a lot of times it's how we re- react to negative situations just as much as how we react to positive situations. So 
Right. Anyway, you better move on, Carol, because you know I could oh, I could yeah. talk all day on this stuff. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. gonna stay a little bit close to that subject in the, in our last topic that we talk about. You know, a lot of people, I be, I believe, a lot of leaders, a lot of the interest that we have seen in servant leadership over the last five six years is because we know that there are hard results that occur because of servant leadership. Right. Hard dollars, you know, that um, bottom lines that have been improved, ROI. But, but I think as, as we get into that and the more we know about servant leadership and the more we live it, we come to understand that the soft results are probably more important. So let's just talk, as we conclude today, let's talk a little bit about some of those soft results. Yeah, you know, I keep a file and it's called Why We Do What We Do. Mm-hmm. And that file is filled with stories. I've I shared a couple of them in a book. And when I hear stories of how people have been impacted by the way they've been treated at Daytron, whether they're still here or not, that's not important to me. What's important to me is have I impacted that life? Has Daytron as a whole impacted that life, not just me? So the stories are very, very important to me. And when people give me that feedback, it's the wind beneath my wings that keep me, keeps me flying. And I don't have to know that person. Sometimes I impact someone because they heard me speak and they come back and say, Art, you changed my life. It wasn't me who changed their life. It was them who changed their life. <laughs> right? It wasn't me, but the stories are the soft results that I like to see. The people that you help grow, when you see that person grow beyond your own expectations and they really take hold and really start to fly and enjoy life and really go after things that they never thought they could do, that tickles me too, to see people grow beyond what I even thought they could grow. When I get positive feedback, uh, we had a leadership meeting about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and we reviewed our quarterly results for the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And we had just hired a new director of uh, forecasting and financial planning. And she sat in and afterwards she sent me a note. She says, that was one of the best quarterly reviews I've ever sat through. Now we've gotten used to those things because our theory is we share the information just like we look at when we manage the company. I don't put a spin on it. I don't create a chart. I go, here's what we see and here's the financials that we talk about. And we make sure people understand what we're doing. And so that's really important. And, you know, we've always said that how you get the results is more important than the results themselves. Mm -hmm. And when I see people caring more about how they get the results they get, whether it's their own personal growth, growth within the company, meeting their departmental uh, objectives, meeting their personal objectives. I think when people do it the right way, it means more to them. They're going to learn more and it's going to stick with them. Caring about how you get the results is really, really what it's all about. Now, if you heard me digging around, I was trying to find a little note I just got from uh, someone in high school. There's a rising star program that's put on by the chamber here, and they recognize kids in high schools. And we give away a copy of Farmer Abel. And I sign that book. We give it to them for free. I sign that book and I put their name on it. I dress it personally to them and congratulate them for being a rising star and tell them to keep up the great work. And I received a card and I can't find it right now, but it was, thank you very much for being a sponsor. Thank you so much for the book. I've read it. I really enjoyed it. And I want you to know it changed my life. Now, this is a high school student. Now, 
I've never met this person, but we were just kind enough to go, hey, I, I want to participate in the program. I'll, I'll give everybody a free book. And we've been doing this for seven, eight years. They recognize students every month. When I get the cards from the high schoolers, it tells me that we've impacted their life by being recognized as a rising star in school. Now, I don't know what the criteria is, but if I can help build up that life, I, I'll sign 100 books every month. I, I don't meet that life. I don't know who it is. All I know is I get a thank you card that tells me I've impacted their life. Now, that's the soft result of servant leadership, but it keeps me going and telling me it's not just all about the people around you at work. You can impact lives without even meeting them. And for me, we're helping people grow that we don't even know. And people will leave here after being here for five, six, seven years. They've been trained in servant leadership. Your son went to work for a company. He's now an ambassador in servant leadership, Brian, because he's learned something early in his career that he's going to take with him through his entire life. He's going to impact people in that organization because they see a different type of person. So they actually become an ambassador for servant leadership in other companies. We see this over and over again. Popeye's, Cheryl Batchelder, took eight years to turn around Popeye's into a servant-led organization. They performed so well, they were bought out by Burger King and Burger King didn't have the same passion for that type of leadership that Cheryl did. And, you know, most of the corporate staff was let go. And, you know, it's sad, but on the other hand, look at all the ambassadors for mm-hmm. servant leadership that are now working in other locations, right. other companies that can actually impact people a different way and maybe start that seed and plant it in other companies and impact the way people lead. And so that's why I get back to succession planning. People have an opportunity to leave the company and you can't provide that same opportunity. Celebrate that they've grown to the point where they can go into a new position and understand that they're going to be a seed that's planted in that organization to maybe turn their leadership around into a different way of leading uh, to where they care about how they get the results. Yeah. Think in those terms rather than, oh, I invested all this time and money in developing this person. Right. And being, you know, actually angry and frustrated about that. So one of the charities we support uh, over the years, the organization up in Orange County that builds wheelchairs for people in Africa. And they started building wheelchairs for uh, people in Africa uh, that were, because they were either dismembered or didn't have a leg or foot, in some cultures, they were just kind of put in the back room and forgotten about. And this gentleman designed wheelchairs out of a, you know, backyard plastic chair, put some wheels on it was the first one he came up with. And he delivers wheelchairs into different areas throughout Africa. They don't go assembled. They go in kits. They have people in the community build them. He creates excitement about the program. And then he gives them away for free. And some of the impact stories that I've heard at some of their events where people say, I have a new life. I may not have legs that I can get around, but now I can go out in town and I'm not an embarrassment to my family because I can't do anything on my own. Now, those are stories that stick with you for life and impact you for life. And when you hear stories like that and you've contributed financially to help them go do that. We're not, I'm not a frontline person. I couldn't go do what, what he does, but we can su- financially support him so he can impact more people. Those are the things I'm talking about. And we do that through our charitable fund, that those contributions were done because one of our employees had a heart for this ministry, this individual, and we supported our employee's heart 
and gave to that organization. That is a what would be considered a soft result in the business world today, but it sticks with you for a lifetime. Carol and I can sit and we just do a podcast for like three hours on the stories. Yeah. Um, and the fact that I guess what I always carry with me, Art, is that this is a multi-generational deal. It isn't, you know, I gave some money and somebody had a nice meal or something like that. It impacts generation after generation. Right. That's change. You can change. The question is, are you going to change for good or are you just going to change for the moment? Mm-hmm to get something for yourself. The change for a lifetime is what's going to change this world because you're going to pass that change on to the next generation. They're going to pass it on to the next generation, et cetera. And that type of change is what we need to help people understand that they really need to build a bridge of love, not hate. And building that bridge is you build it one stone at a time and the stone is all about hope and if you want to look at the soft side of servant leadership and say i'm going to be a bridge builder and i'm going to place a stone to build that bridge that's based on hope and not hate i can't think of a better measure of servant leadership that i can think of today i i I just can't with everything that's going on in this country today we need bridge builders that want to build one stone of hope at a time And it has to have a goal of being a bridge built on love, not a bridge being built to block. And so, you know, that's how I'm going to wrap this up. The book was written, I don't know, three or four years ago. But today's events puts a different light on some of the things. So I've shared with you some of the things that have been on my heart for the last week that I haven't shared with anybody else. Not part of the book. But if you can be a servant that can show up and serve and serve with your heart based on love and not hate, we can change this world. And that's what it's got to be all about. Look around for those images that are happening in our communities today where people are coming together out of love and not letting the hate of other people impact that relationship. All right. That's what we need to focus on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, it is our pleasure to record these shows and and have you be able to be a part of them and understand a little bit about why we do what we do and why we're so um, passionate about it. And so uh, be well, all of you out there. Take care of yourself. And who can you serve today? You know, just ask yourself that question As you're walking to the bus stop or the parking lot or going into the Target, who can you serve today? Right. And be well. And be well. Everybody take care. Be well with COVID-19. I'll say keep praying for this country to get back to loving each other instead of hating each other. So take care, everybody. It's been great spending time with you. Carol, thanks again for being a great moderator and asking some deep questions. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care. All right, everybody.